Baking cookies, hot chocolate, spiced cider, fresh evergreen trees. What do all these things have in common? They are just some of the aromas of Christmas. Our sense of smell is so connected to our memory that when we get a whiff of peppermint, we are immediately transported to the holidays, peeling the plastic off of a candy cane or a peppermint mocha from your favorite coffee shop. When the wise men left their homes to follow the star, they took with them frankincense, a gummy resin that was extracted from trees and used in worship and prayer ceremonies as a sweet aromatic incense. The Old Testament tells us that the Lord was pleased with sweet fragrances used during times of sacrifice. The prophet Isaiah even prophesied that the Messiah would be gifted with frankincense as a praise offering. The wise men traveled from the east, and when they reached Jerusalem, they asked, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They came ready to worship God incarnate, the Holy One who led the Israelites through the desert with a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. Yahweh, who parted the Red Sea to make a way of escape. The divine, omnipotent Savior who commands angel armies to protect his people and who has shown over and over again his unfailing love. The wise men's response was to find the promised Messiah and to bow down and worship him. To rejoice in the fulfillment of Isaiah's words, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Hey, that's uh, our own Carrie Varnell, and that's Melinda Whitten. Can we just thank them, along with our tech team, for doing a great job of setting up this, this series. And, and by the way, welcome for those of you who are joining us online. Uh, every week, I, somebody, it seems like, tells me, hey, I wasn't able to be there Sunday, but just wanted you to know we were tuning in online. And, and we love those who join us online. Would you help me to welcome them as well? Can we do that? Amen. Um, we are continuing in this sermon series that we're just calling King. And we're looking at um, the wise men who brought the gifts, and we generally say three wise men because there were three gifts, but the reality is we don't know how many wise men there were, right? Uh, we know they came from the east. We know they traveled a great distance. We know they went to the king in Jerusalem. Now, that part, king in Jerusalem, is gonna be really important that you get the next part of this sermon, okay? They went to the king in Jerusalem, and they asked the king in Jerusalem, this very question, and I quote, uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, the fact that these men were wise, as far as I'm concerned, is not even debatable because God's word says they were wise, so we know they were wise. It's our authority for faith and practice 
These men were wise. But we can speculate, I think, on good authority. That these men, though they were wise, they were not good politicians. And they certainly weren't good at reading the room, okay? I mean, this was not the best start uh, to their first trip to the Holy Land. Maybe these wise men uh, would have been wise to hire a guide who could kind of help show them the ropes because King Herod was just a little bit crazy. King Herod was very jealous, and I'm not sure this was the very best move, but let's pick up the story right there. They made this request, and now I'm gonna start reading from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter two, and I'm gonna start with verse seven. I invite you to stand with me, and by standing, I'm just acknowledging and asking you to acknowledge that God's word is the very word of God. It's our authority for faith and practice. Let me read it. You follow along, and uh, we will honor God. God spoke. The rest is commentary. Everything else that'll be said is just commentary on what God has said. Let me read this. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. God bless you for honoring God and his word. Grab a seat and in review, they see the star, they follow the star, uh, they enter into the house, not the stable. So we know some time has passed uh, from the birth of Jesus until this time. We don't know if it's a day, two days. Uh, it could be up to a year because King Herod has all of the males in Jerusalem, two years of age and under, killed. Thank you, wise men, for that. And, uh, you know, so, so we know they go in, they worship Jesus, and they gave Jesus gifts. So in other words, they gave Jesus a baby shower, right? Now, it's not like baby showers we do today. We don't generally give gifts of gold. We don't give, uh, you know, frankincense. We, you know, but, uh, you know, stable, needed some good smelling stuff, right? And, and, and we don't normally give myrrh or medicinal products. I mean, uh, normal baby gifts today, you know, for a baby shower, we'll give little baby rattles and little baby clothes and diapers. And we may even give some big gift like a baby stroller, which come to think of it, um, will cost you a piggy bank filled with gold. So maybe um, they're more like first century uh, than we thought. But each of the gifts, here's what I want you to catch, has a practical benefit and a prophetic aspect. 
a practical benefit. Think about the gold. First of all, the gold is very practical. I mean, it is money that can be spent. And, and Herod going crazy, having the kids killed. And so Joseph and Mary have to try to escape to Egypt and the gold will fund their flight to Egypt. But we also know it has a prophetic aspect, right? By giving the gold, the wise men are declaring, we believe Jesus to be the rightful king of the Jews. And you and I would say the rightful king of kings and the king of the kingdom of heaven. So they are declaring Jesus is king. When you get to the myrrh, which we'll look at next week, we looked at gold last week, and you get to the myrrh, and, and it has practical benefits, right? It's a spice that was used in embalming people. It's kind of associated with death and suffering and pain. It was used medicinally uh, to mix with wine, and it would become something of a pain killer, a sedative. Uh, Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh on the cross. He declined it, but he was offered that. And so myrrh has a prophetic aspect as well, right? It is associated with pain and suffering. It is associated with Jesus being our suffering servant. It is associated with Jesus dying on a cross as payment for our sin. And so they were pro prophetically proclaiming something by giving Jesus the myrrh. They were saying, we believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. And now we come to frankincense. And frankincense, as it says in Matthew chapter two, verse 11, they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh has many, many practical benefits. It's a resin from a tree. It was very expensive in that day, still expensive in our day. It was highly fragrant when burned. And so you go, what were the practical aspects, the practical benefits to giving Jesus and Joseph and Mary frankincense? Well, first of all, it was used in an incense in the form of a candle, but you've got to understand, again, uh, we're not talking about, you know, a, a Yankee candle like I've got in my office that you pick up at Walmart, okay? Uh, we're talking about uh, like a nest candle, right? And we have one in our home. We received it as a Christmas gift a few years back. And you go, well, if you received it a few years back, why do you still have it? Do you not like it? No, I love it. And the thing is, my wife will only burn that nest candle when company is coming over. And she starts it up about 15 minutes before they arrive. And then she blows the candle out the minute they step outside the front door of our home. So it's the one time that our house actually smells good when we're burning that nest candle. But it's, it's definitely a candle and it smelled good when it burned. Did you know frankincense was also used as a deodorant? I'm just saying. It was used as an insect repellent as well. And of course it was used in perfume and so think about how beneficial this frankincense is. If your house stinks, just light up a frankincense candle. If you got stinky underarms, just rub on some frankincense. You, you got a mosquito issue, just put some frankincense in your tiki torch. Going on a date, just splash on some frankincense perfume. Very practical. But it also had a prophetic aspect, right? You see, frankincense, the primary use was 
in the midst of the priest offering up sacrifices in the temple, to the extent that frankincense began to be associated with the priest and specifically with the high priest. And so when they are giving uh, this frankincense to Jesus, uh, they're saying, not only do we believe that he is the king of kings, not only do we believe that he is the savior of the world, we believe that Jesus is our high priest. Now listen. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews declared, right? For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar. Notice what it says. Day after day, the ideas after day, after year, after decade, after century offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Notice how the priest and then the high priest on an annual basis would offer up sacrifices day by day by day. But notice it said those sacrifices can never take away our sins. But Jesus came and he offered up a sacrifice that is good for all time to make us holy, to pay for our sin, to, in, to, to give us the gift of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing I want us to get as we think about this one word this morning, frankincense. Here's what I pray that you get your arms around, that you get your mind around, that it gets in your head and that you just mull on this all week long. And here it is. Jesus is the great high priest whose name is love. And in love, here's what our high priest did, did for us and does for us. Our high priest offered up sacrifice for our sin. And I know immediately that there's some in the room who are probably thinking, maybe Jesus is not your high priest and you're sitting here going, why do I need a high priest, right? Or maybe you're newer in the faith and you're still kind of just trying to put all the pieces together and you're going, I thought Jesus was a savior. I never heard Jesus was a high priest. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and, and, and you still don't quite have your mind around the fact that Jesus is a high priest. So here's, here's what I want you to get. If you're thinking, why do I need a high priest? Why do I need someone to make sacrifice for my sin? Why do I need to be made holy? Here's why you need a high priest. Because the fact is, God is just. And God is going to destroy sin, not just punish sin. God is going to destroy sin. And that's a really important point for us to understand this morning. Otherwise, why do we need a high priest? And the reality is God is committed to destroying sin so that sin does not actually survive this age. Do you realize that? Not gonna be any sin in heaven. And the fact is, no muggings in heaven. You're not gonna have to lock your doors in heaven. Nobody's gonna be talking about you behind your back in heaven. And by the way, you're not gonna be talking about anybody else behind their back in heaven. Nobody sins against you. You don't sin against anyone else. Why? Because God is committed to destroying sin. 
and sinners who refuse to repent, who refuse to let go of their sin, who refuse to turn away from their sin and embrace the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, embrace the righteousness and holiness that Jesus offers us. So the reality is we need a high priest because we are sinners standing before a holy God who's committed to destroying sin. Now, Jesus never shied away from talking about sin. We do, but Jesus didn't. New Testament writers never shied away from talking about sin. Uh, I mean, Paul wrote, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. He goes on to write, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Parents, let, let me just kind of drive this home for a moment. Your child is amazing. You think your child is amazing. I think your child's amazing. Everybody thinks your child is amazing. We believe that your child deserves a participation trophy. We do believe that. We believe that everything about your child is awesome. I have a grandson now whose name is Shep. We believe that he's not just exceptional. We don't even use the word exceptional anymore because our grandson is exceptional. <laughs> Thank you. But here's the thing. We know that our kids are fearfully and wonderfully made. Students, y'all are fearfully and wonderfully made and your parents think you're amazing and they think everything you do is amazing and every picture you draw is amazing and every attempt athletically or musically you make is amazing. But here is something else that you need to know, students and parents. We need to be sure to tell our kids that our kids, though they are fearfully and wonderfully made, they are sinners and God is holy and God is committed to destroying sin and their sin shall not survive this age. And if they don't repent and turn from their sin and embrace Jesus as their high priest, they are under the judgment of God. So the reality is we don't need to just tell our kids they're exceptional. We need to tell them that Jesus made them fearfully and wonderfully. And in Jesus, they can live life that is abundant. But if they turn from Jesus or reject Jesus, Jesus Satan is going to come and steal, kill, and destroy everything in their life. No matter how exceptional they are. See, we don't like to talk about sin, do we? We rename sin. We start calling sin mistakes. I made a mistake. I made an error. I, I, I slipped up. I messed up. It wasn't my finest hour. Hey, I'm not proud of what I did. But hey, we all make mistakes. And then many parents will talk about how Santa's keeping a list and he's checking it twice to find out who's naughty and nice. And, and we know that's true, but... At the very same time, we need to make sure they know that God is just and that our kids are sinners and that our kids need the great, amazing good shepherd whose name is love. Now, I wonder if you just 
just, just, just do this for me. Just, just turn, uh, not to your kid, just turn to your neighbor, your spouse, whomever you're sitting beside. Students, turn to the student beside you and just say, you need a good shepherd, amen? Can we just say that to each other? You need the good shepherd whose name is love, amen? We are standing in need of a good shepherd. Now, let me tell you something else. All right, it doesn't take that long to say it. Wait a minute. That was just a minor little break, okay? Point number two, good news, only two points in the sermon. I know y'all are thinking, thank you, Jesus. All right, here we go. Point number two, you ready? Our high priest not only offers sacrifice for our sin once for all, but our high priest, whose name is love, prays for us. See, the frankincense, when it burned, the smoke, ascended to the heaven, and the very smoke that ascended to the heavens began to symbolize the prayers that the high priest offered up on behalf of the people. Do you know what that means? Jesus, our high priest, came and he was born. Our high priest grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Our high priest uh, suffered Our high priest walked in our shoes. Our high priest is not cold, indifferent. He is not distant. Our high priest suffered with us. He knows our pain. He knows our sorrow. It's like the writer of Hebrews says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is. Do we have it on the screen? Read this with me, would you? Unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. You know what that means? Jesus, your high priest, if you have asked him to be your high priest, if you have confessed your sin to him, if you have confessed that he is the Lord God, savior of your life, Your high priest can sympathize with you. Your high priest understands what you are going through. Your high priest is not indifferent, not cold. Your high priest understands and he is entering into your pain with you and with me and he is praying for us. Is your life hard? And you're going, I don't think Jesus cares about me. I don't think he's my high priest because my life is hard and if he cared about me, my life wouldn't be so hard. Listen to what one writes about the life that Jesus lived. It's pretty hard when you think about it. Jesus was conceived by an unwed teenager, raised in a small town where everyone could do the math between the wedding to Joseph and the birth of Jesus. Jesus lived in poverty. He was tempted by the devil again and again, yet he did not sin. He experienced the death of a close friend. Jesus grieved the loss of family members. Jesus was accused of things he didn't do. His friends betrayed him, and worst of all, he felt abandoned by God on the cross. You're going through a hard time? I'm telling you, your high priest understands because he went through a hard time when he lived among us. You come from a rough background, 
Your family tree just a little bit shady and you're thinking you don't measure up or people look down on you because you don't have the right pedigree. Let me tell you, in Jesus' family tree, there are prostitutes and foreigners and adulterers and murderers and there's incest. I'm telling you, Jesus can sympathize with your weaknesses. He can sympathize with your pain. He can sympathize with your past. Is your heart aching this morning? Are you grieving a loss? I did three funerals this past week and it just seems like I encountered so many people who are in such deep grief over loss. I'm telling you, Jesus understands grief. You remember how he wept with Mary and Martha uh, when their brother, his friend Lazarus died? You remember Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? Think about what that's all about. Jesus, the creator of the world. Jesus, the savior of the world. Jesus came to save every single person in Jerusalem and almost to a person, the people in Jerusalem rejected him, rejected salvation, rejected the offer of the kingdom of heaven and salvation and heaven itself, and it grieved him, and he weeped. Are you weeping today and agonizing in grief? I'm telling you, Jesus, your high priest understands. Do you feel abandoned? You feel alone? Or are you lonely today? I'm telling you, think about Jesus in the garden. His follower by the name of Judas betrays him. The rest of his friends who were following him abandoned him. Jesus knows what it is to feel abandoned and alone. And on the cross, what did he pray? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it is to go through seasons of being abandoned, seasons of feeling alone. Are you crushed by some weight, some burden that you can't even give words to? You can't articulate, you can't voice. It is so painful in your life right now. Think about Jesus in the garden. He projects forward to the time on the cross when he is going to take the sins of the world upon himself. You remember what scripture says? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Do you understand the significance of those words? He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there in the garden, he understands what he is agreeing to do. On the cross, he is gonna take your sin and my sin, past, present, and future, but not just our sins, the sins of every human who's ever lived, past, present, and future. And he is gonna take those sins. And there on the cross, God the Father is gonna pour out his wrath. Remember, God's just, and God is committed to destroying sin. And there he pours out his wrath on sin, there on his son, Jesus. And there on the cross, Jesus literally suffers the sentence of hell that you and I deserve. And, and the pain and the agony of what he's about to experience is so deep, so profound, he can't articulate it. All he can say is to his friends, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? He can't articulate what he is experiencing and it is so intense that instead of sweating sweat, he starts sweating drops of blood. See, I don't know what burden you're carrying today. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a secret that is so secret you've never given voice to that secret. Maybe it was something that was done to you while you were a child. Maybe it's something that you've done to someone else. And the shame and the guilt is so real, it's palpable, and it has impacted everything you've ever said and done since. All I can tell you is your high priest understands 
the burdens that are so painful that you can't even give voice to it. Let me lighten this up a little bit, uh, or you'll be regretting that you ever came to church today. Let me ask you this question. Got any crazy in your family? We all have the crazy uncle, right? Crazy in-laws. Some of you are going, no, 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 Gary, not me, not, not our family. No, 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 no crazy in our family. That's because then you're the crazy one. <laughs> the crazy ones never know they're crazy and just people are, are talking. Aren't you glad you came today? I helped you to figure out something about yourself you never knew. Do you know Jesus had to deal with crazy? He announces, I'm the, the Messiah, the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. You know how his family responded? Let me just quote it. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. You dealing with crazy today? Jesus has dealt with crazy. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus is our high priest whose name is love. And no matter what you're going through, here's what Jesus has done for you out of love. He offered a sacrifice that is the full final payment for sin. And he, and he prays for you and intercedes for you because he understands what you are going through. He understands the pain and the burden and the shame, the remorse, the guilt. He understands it. And he's praying for you. So here's my invitation. Number one, for those who have never made Jesus your high priest, maybe it's some of you who are students. Maybe it's some of you who are parents. Maybe some of our young adults. Maybe you're a guest for the very first time and you're just hearing about Jesus as the high priest. I invite you to make him your high priest. Here is the reality. There really is this kingdom and it is the kingdom of heaven. You and I are living in the kingdom of this world, but this kingdom is passing away and the kingdom of heaven is crashing in and God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus and he is committed to destroying sin, but he doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you his holiness and his righteousness and to do that, he died on a cross and he took your sin and he paid the price for your sin but they placed him in a tomb and he rose again from the tomb and he conquered death and he wants to give you a share in his victory over the grave and what he invites you to do is to repent you just say Lord I'm willing to let go of my sin and I believe that you're the savior who died for me and I confess you as my Lord I repent of my sin and I embrace you as my king and I'll follow you into a whole new way of living and when you embrace Jesus he becomes your high priest and the, he doesn't just make sacrifice for your sin. He prays for you and ministers to you. So today, I invite you to receive him as your high priest. You go, Gary, you just said a whole bunch. I couldn't follow it all. Try this. I did this when I was nine years old. Lord, I don't wanna go to hell. Will you save me? And he did. Try that one. And then come to the next step room and we'll lead you through the full gospel prayer. But those of you who have already accepted Jesus, 
received him as your high priest. Here's what I invite you to do. Bring your burdens to Jesus today. I, I love the fact that Jesus is our high priest whose name is love. He's not our high priest whose name is shame, our high priest whose name is guilt, our high priest whose name is judgment, our high priest whose name is hate. His name is love. And when you come to him, what he does is he wraps you up in his arms of love. Here's his invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me. Do you, are you weary today? Are you burdened today? Here's the invitation of Jesus. I'm your high priest. Come to me with your burdens and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your soul. What is your burden today? Whatever it is, bring it to Jesus this morning. See, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not gonna force his way into your burden. He's not gonna force his way into your life. He's not gonna grab you by the throat or shake you by the shoulders and say, you bring that burden to me. He stands there with open arms and an open invitation. Come to me with your burdens and your weariness and I'll give you rest. I don't know what rest looks like for you. And I don't know what rest God has for you. I know I stood beside a grave yesterday morning with a family that is still grieving the loss of a really good man. And rest for them looks like this declaration from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Death, you've been swallowed up in victory. And there was rest in that declaration yesterday morning because they know the one they love is not dead but very much alive with Jesus and I don't know what your rest looks like I know I've talked to a dad whose daughter has cancer this morning and I know his rest just looks like just little answer to prayer after answer to prayer after answer to prayer rest for this dad looks like a tumor that is shrinking instead of growing See, I don't know what your rest looks like today. I just know that when you're weary and you're heavy laden, you're weary and you're burdened, Jesus says, you come to me and here's what I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you rest. Maybe that rest is just a reminder that this world is not all that there is. That there's a better life coming for those who finish the race and keep the faith. Maybe for you, Rest is just hearing Jesus say, hey, here's what rest looks like. It looks like my yoke. You want me to rescue you out of the pain, but that's not really my deal. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'll lead you through the pain, the challenges, the illness, the death of those who you, you love the layoff, the firing. I'll lead you through seasons of shame and guilt. Take my yoke, follow me, and I'll lead you to a place of rest. See, I don't know what your rest looks like this morning. I just know this. Based on the authority of God's word, God has rest. But you gotta come. You gotta come to him and say, oh high priest, I bring to you my burden today. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus?
thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being our high priest whose name is love. When we come to you, we don't encounter shame or guilt. When we come to you, we don't hear you saying, for shame, for shame, for shame, for shame, I'm so ashamed of you. What we encounter is love, grace, forgiveness, hope. What we encounter is one who restores to us the joy of our salvation. What we encounter is one who turns our focus from our failure to your forgiveness and from our past to our future with you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for being the great high priest whose name is love. So, Lord, today, may there be those who say, Lord, I receive you as my high priest. (laughs) I don't want to. I don't wanna face your judgment for my sin. Would you save me? And Lord, may there be every one of us who come to you with our burden and just say, Lord Jesus, I need, I want your rest. Be my high priest. We pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen.